Thank you for, uh, first of all, for the invitation to be here and to share a little bit about uh, what Lyft does. And um, I'm just going to assume, really, to start off tonight, that, that nobody knows much about Lyft. Now, I know there are people here who, who have been away with Lyft, um, and, but I'm just going to assume that most people don't, and therefore I'm just going to start with a little bit of history of it. But I want to I uh, turn, first of all, to uh, a little reading from 1 Corinthians. Um, it's 1 Corinthians 12, um, starting at verse 12. You, have you a slide there, Stuart, for that, have you, maybe? It's 1 Corinthians 12, and 12, um, through to 20. For as the body is one, and hath many members... And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not a hand, I am not off the body, is it therefore not off the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not an eye, I am not off the body, is it therefore not off the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as he hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. Finishing at verse 20. And I'll come back to that a little bit, a little bit later on. Okay, so I've got a little bit of a story to tell you, first of all, and I have a few slides um, for that story. I'm going to put my glasses on because I can't read it from here at the back, my friend. So um, can you give us the first slide, please, Stuart? So it's called the Carpenter's Workshop. And I have a number of slides in this Carpenter's Workshop which um, all refer to tools. And it's not just an ordinary Carpenter's Workshop. It's a Carpenter's Workshop where all the tools can all talk to each other. Um, as what happens whenever you leave your workshop. Um, you maybe don't know it, but that's what happens whenever you leave your workshop. So the first slide is the, so it's all, the, all the tools get together and they say, Brother Hummer, we think you should leave the workshop because you keep banging on about things and making a terrible noise. And Brother Hummer then, he turns to, to Brother Brattle and says, well, I think Brother Brattle should leave the workshop. He makes, a lot, he makes very little impression for all the effort that's required for him. Brother Bradleyan says, I think Brother Screw should leave the workshop. You have to keep twisting him and turning him for him to do anything. Brother Screw then says, I think Brother Plain should leave the workshop. All his work is on the surface, and there's no depth to anything he does. Brother Plain then says, I think Brother Ruler should leave the workshop. He keeps measuring everything up, and he believes he's always right. Brother Ruler then says, I think... Brother Sam Pepper should leave the workshop. 
He's a bit of a rough diamond, and he's always rubbing everything, everybody up the wrong way. Brother Sandpaper then says, I think Brother Clamp should leave. For once he gets hold of anything, he just keeps on putting pressure and pressure and pressure on it. So then Brother Clamp got together with all the other tools, and the Brother Chisel and Drill and Pencil, and as we were just discussing what or who should leave the workshop, because each of them had their faults, and each of them had their uses. Uh, the carpenter came in, and he put on his apron, and he lifted the tools, uh, all one at a time, and he worked away all day, working with each tool in turn. At the end of the day, standing on the floor, was a pulpit to announce the good news of Christ. So the carpenter packed up and left for the night, and then Brother Saw got up. He straightened his teeth, and he said, Brethren, I believe that we are all tools to be used in the hands of the carpenter from Nazareth. And that's the story which really is to say that you know, one tool in your workshop, one tool in your kit just isn't enough. You need all of the tools. And as I sit, sit stand here this evening and look around, I don't know very many people here. But what I can tell you is that every single person here has a skill and a talent and a gift And it is a sin not to use that skill and talent and gift to serve God. Now, I know that we're pretty hard on each other. We don't like to boast about what our skills are. So if you don't know what your skill is, well then, you know, ask somebody. Somebody who knows you. I'm sure they'll be quick to tell you what you're good at. And probably even quicker to tell you what you're not good at. Um, but use your skills. It may not be what, what we're going to talk about tonight. It may not be about going on a construction project, but it might be that you're a listener. It may be that you're a musician. It may be that you can sing. Maybe that you're a preacher. It could be, could be anything. But if you've, got this, if you've got a skill and talent, which I know you, everybody has, well then, um, I would encourage you to use it uh, for the gospel. LIFT stands for Labour in Faith and Trust. Um, and really that's what we're about. We're about sending teams of people to go and labour. Mostly in construction and occasionally, or at least every year, at least one team every year, to go and do a, a medical team. Um, our motto, or what we, what we are about, um, is the Lord God whom we serve is able. And we do believe that God is able. God chooses every person that goes on a team. Um, and sometimes people come to me and they volunteer for a team and I look at them and I think, whoa, you know, what's this person going to do on this team? Um, and sometimes I look at whole teams and I think, what's this team going to do? And you know, because God has chosen each of those people in that team, they go and they do magnificent things because God is in it and God has chosen them. So I don't, I don't judge anybody when they come to the team. If you come and say to me, I feel God wants me to go on a team, and no matter where that team is, I'll gladly accept you as going on that team. Uh, we have a couple of criteria. Um, really, the main criteria is that you, that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour. And secondly, that you have to be between the ages of 18 and 80. Okay, so as I look around, okay, most people fall into the 18 or 80 bracket. Okay, and we take male and female. So looking around again, you know, I don't think there's anybody who's not a male or female here. So you have to stay awake with me throughout this this, uh, uh, this evening, because uh, you probably qualify to go on our project. Okay, that's the next slide, please. 
So back in, back in 1997, um, I was working on a building site just outside Glen Gormley, and a guy came to me and he asked, you don't know how to know anybody who can um, fit suspended ceilings? Uh, particularly, uh, look, we're looking for Christian men to go to the Guinea Bazaar to work with an organization called WAC. Well, I'd never heard of Guinea Bazaar, and I'd never heard of WAC at that stage either. Um, and I didn't fit suspended ceilings. My company fitted suspended ceilings, and certainly I could talk you through putting one up, but at that time, I'd never actually fitted one. So that night, I was talking to my friend John in my house, and we were having coffee, and, he said, and I was telling him about this conversation. And John says, sort of half in jest, he says, you know, we could go and do that. And um, six months later, we found ourselves in Guinea-Bissau, in the west coast of Africa, putting up a ceiling with eight other random guys who we'd never met before. Uh, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. And we saw... Uh, how God used that team uh, really to advance his kingdom in that little part of Africa. So when we came back from that, we sort of discussed, you know, it would be great to go and do that again, but it was an ad hoc team just thrown together. Um, and we talked about it, we talked about it for months, and we prayed about it together, and we eventually said, look, you know, let's, let's try and organize another team ourselves. Um, and that's what we did. We came about, and we actually started this organization called Lift. Uh, labor and faith and trust. And its objectives are really what you see up on the board. Or it is to spread the word of the gospel, either through word or through practical ways. And you know, sometimes we go on projects and people don't speak our language, and we don't speak very many other languages, I have to say. Um, but yet, working with somebody side by side on a building site, gee, there is communication there and you are a witness there. Um, so therefore, by working with somebody, there is a good witness of, of our team, even if we can't speak the language. Um, we go to encourage missionaries. Uh, sometimes missionaries, especially missionaries from Northern Ireland, it's, just, it's great to go out and have a bit of crack and a bit of banter with them and something that they understand. Sometimes they're just happy to speak English to you uh, because they, they, they haven't spoken English very often in the last couple of years, maybe. And it's good to go along and encourage them in their work and also to do a bit of work for them, which would encourage them uh, for whatever they're doing. It's working in their home, working in, in their church, working in whatever it is they want us to, to work in. Um, you know, I remember working in, in the Ivory Coast uh, a lot of years back, and um, we were the team. There was only seven of us in the team, and we were, it was good crack and good banter. And we were always fighting with each other the whole way through the project, as as you do. And uh, the missionary was a guy from uh, from Holland. Andre, he called him. So he called me over to the side one day and he says, is everything okay in the team? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, we're getting on great. He says, there's an awful lot of fighting going on. And I said, no, 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 no. That's the way we get on. I said, the more we insult each other, the better we like each other. Uh, and he just, you know, he just didn't grasp it. But, you know, he, he was from Holland. Um, encourage volunteers. Nobody rarely, I mean, anybody rarely comes back for a project and says, I hated that. That was a terrible experience. I'm going to say rarely because one or twice, once or twice it has happened. But generally speaking, everybody that goes on a project loves it. And generally speaking, most people on average go on three projects. So if you sign up for a project tonight, remember, there's two more projects in you after that. And then to encourage local Christians. We don't always get into the pulpit. Sometimes we get into the pulpit. But even just to go along beside them and to work along with them and encourage them in what they're doing. And know that, so as they know that, that we're thinking of them and that they're in our prayers. And back here, we're, we're also telling other people to, to pray and, and, and uh, think about them as well. And the Courage Mission at Home. Now, before I go to every church, I look up their website. Okay, so some websites are really, really bad and some are pretty good. And yours is one of the good ones. And that's why I said that. Um, 
And in, in your constitution, okay, down the way down the bottom of your constitution, it does say that you are mission-oriented, that, that, that you want to be mission-oriented. And that is great to have in your constitution. Um, but, you know, many churches up and down this province really don't look beyond the four walls of their own church. Um, and when I go and speak in those churches, when they do invite me to come along and speak to them, it is great when somebody from that church volunteers to go on a lift team. Because they go away and they thoroughly enjoy it and they come back really, really enthused and really excited and that can have a little bit of a spark in that church. And, and often you see in the years that follow more people from that church volunteering to go and serve also. So here's some statistics. I haven't got a big lot of them for you, but I'm going to run through these pretty You want to just fire those all up for me, Glenn, all at one go there? So we've been going 21 years. We've done 193, 183 projects. 1,589 people have gone away from, with us from 403 different churches. Uh, 40 different countries we've served in for 44 different mission organizations. We have seven long-term missions. That's people who have gone on a lift project and then felt God calling them back to go and serve again longer term. And the main thing is that one God is served. Um, and you'll see a little bit later on, a slide later on, that we, we took away many different people from different denominations. Um, and really, as I say, the start, only, only criteria is you, you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And and they all, we all get together. It makes, it makes great discussion in the evenings, I have to say, when you go um, with a lot of different people from different churches. Um, so these two girls um, out in uh, Madagascar, Louise Little and Kathy Armstrong, and they're serving as nurses. Okay, so they, they've been away on lift projects and felt then called to go back and serve uh, again. And they were in Madagascar on the Mercy Ship uh, a few years back, and they came across Matasara Hospital. Now, we had worked at Matasara Hospital a lot of years ago. And um, they went back there again, and they're, they're serving two years. And see, Mark's here. I don't know why anybody knows Mark, but I'm going to point him out because I see, see him here. And he's just back from there. And uh, we're hoping to go out. We had a small team out, which I'll tell you a little bit later on about. We're hoping to go back out again later in the year and do a bit more work uh, at that particular hospital. The Stephen Bean, I mean, I can't stand here and not give a little bit of a plug about our little coffee shop. So if you're ever in Belfast... Uh, on the Bally Cellar, we're right next door to the lift office of a little coffee shop. And the main reason for that coffee shop really is, is, is to share in the local area uh, the gospel. Um, it is a nice coffee shop. It does sell real, real coffee and it does give you a, a good lunch and, um, and there's lovely ice cream and everything else. It's a proper coffee shop. But what I can say about it is that um, we sort of felt as an organization that we were, we were going all around the world, uh, yet we were doing nothing here uh, where, where we were based. Uh, and this is what this coffee shop allows us to do. It just allows us to share the gospel with local people uh, in Belfast. Um, so if you're ever in Belfast, look us up and come along. It's open at 9 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night, and uh, you'll be very welcome, and you get a good cup of coffee. I want to tell you a little bit about Peru. Uh, Peru's a project I was on uh, last year, and um, I just want to give you a little bit of a flavor of what happens on a lift project so as, so as you know what you're, you're signing up for. Just in case anybody didn't know where Peru was, it's in South America. Way over uh, on the on the uh, what would that be? Would that be the east coast, west coast, west coast? Maybe it's over there anyway, uh, in South America. Next to you slide there, and we were working at Arequipa, which is way down at the south of Peru. Uh, altitude was about nine thousand feet above sea level, so there was a little bit of problem with altitude when we arrived. I mean, if you ran up the stairs, for instance, you you felt a little bit dizzy by the time you reached the top. But that only lasted for a couple of days. Uh, we flew from Belfast to London and London then to Lima, which was a 13-hour flight, a long flight, and then another flight down to Arequipa. 
Um, this was a view from, from our bedroom window. We arrived late at night, so we couldn't see this. But next morning we got up, we were pretty amazed when we looked out our window and saw this view. Um, and this is the view from the other window. So both, two big volcanoes. And they won this particular one here. Uh, I think they call it Big Misty. And it erupts about every 10 years. So it erupted about three years ago. So we were pretty happy that it was seven years away before it was due to go again. And this is our team. Okay, so you can see from the team here that we had... I'm going to turn around and see it, I think. We had eight, eight women and four ladies. Three Presbyterians, one Reformed Presbyterian, one Baptist, two Elam, one Congregational, one Brethren, one Pentecostal, and two Independents. Now, can you imagine that discussion at night time when you come to your quiet time? So every night when we got together, um, so somebody would maybe give a testimony or, or share a bit of scripture with us. Um, but there was such a variety of different um, doctrines there. And it was great. It was, it, we had great conversation to, to discuss uh, and maybe even debate a little bit. Sometimes the evening worship would have lasted 15 minutes and sometimes it would have ended up with two or three people there at one o'clock in the morning still discussing the subject. But it was really, it was really good. And that's what happens in the Lift Project. Many diff- different denominations, but all there to serve one God. This was our accommodation. The very top floor of this building, I have to say, this was good accommodation as far as the Lift Project goes. It had, it had running water, it had electricity, it had proper beds. Um, and it was clean and tidy and had a roof that didn't leak. Um, so from that point of view, it was good accommodation. Some, some teams stay in better accommodations than others. Um, I, went, I was in Serbia last year and, and stayed in a hotel that, that cost seven euros a night. And that gives you a good idea what the hotel was like. Local food was guinea pig. And you, I'm sorry if you happen to have a guinea pig as a, as a, as a pet. Um, but these guinea pigs are farmed uh, for eating. The same way we would farm chickens for eating, they farm guinea pigs. And I have to say, uh, this was my dinner one, one night we went out for dinner, and I thought, well, look, you know, I can't come the whole way to Peru and not try the local. So I had to go at guinea pig. Now, there isn't much eating on a guinea pig. It doesn't taste like anything else. In fact, the best part of that meal was that roast potato in the middle there. <laughs> and this is the site, so you can just about see it. Way right down in the very, very bottom corner, you can see, maybe just to pick it out. You can't really see him, but he's, he's an orange guy, an orange t-shirt, right at the very, very corner, at the very back of the site. And this was a, a, an orphanage. Uh, and at 16 in Peru, you have to leave the orphanage. Um, and this was a, a, an apartment we were building for, for girls who turned 16. Um, now, I don't know, if, if any of you have got a, a, a child or a daughter who's 16, um, try thinking of sending them out into the, the world uh, at that age. I mean, I've got a daughter at 22, and I don't think she's ready to leave just yet, you know, so... But this is an apartment where the girls can then uh, get a little bit of independence. The missionaries are still there. The, the, the house parent will still be in the, in, in the apartment. But it has a door that leads out into the main road. So they're free to come and go as they like. And they'll stay there until they either get a job or they finish their, their higher education. Um, so it means that they're not just throwing all those girls out at the age of 16. This is to give you an idea of some of the work we've done. So we put a, a metal staircase in and then put a reinforced concrete slab uh, just at the bottom of it um, for the land on. And this is, this is Joshua, he's from Guildford, and he's working away at, at just trying to float that wee slab in. Now, the building we were trying to work in wasn't just quite ready for it. The pl- plaster wasn't quite far enough ahead of us at, at parts of it, so some of us went down and, and we built a wee car park just to, to fill in a couple of days while we were there. And that's the car park finished. Now, I'm not going to show you a whole lot of, work, a whole lot of photographs here of metal stud walls, because once you've seen one metal stud wall, really, you've, you've seen all the metal stud walls. They all look alike. Um, but you can see that we have the metal studs up. We put plasterboard each side, and we put 
We put the plumbing into them and the wiring into them as well. This is Victoria. She was with us on the team. And her skill wasn't in construction. Her skill was in art. Um, young Baptist girl from the Shankle Road. And um, she went around all the orphanage in each of the dorms and, and did lots of murals on the walls. Here is some of the... Yep, just keep going there. I think there's another one, is there? No, there's not. Okay, so track the walls. You can see that's, that's Sam and Joshua again on the left-hand side there. And uh, Kyle on the right. And Kyle's going to be welding up there off uh, the railings for outside. Uh, along the footpath. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about the projects for 2020. That's this year's projects. And first of all, you'll see on each of the slides I'm going to show you, you'll see a little bit of a price, a little bit of a cost. Uh, and we asked for a donation to try and, and, and offset that cost. And uh, this is what the cost includes. It includes all your flights and your transfers. Um, it includes your transport, your food, your accommodation, your insurance. And our insurance isn't just a normal travel insurance. It does cover you for, for working on a built-in site. Um, includes all your PPE gear, so you get things like your, like your uh, goggles and gloves and masks and all that sort of stuff. And includes some clothing, so it includes like a lift polo shirt and some working t-shirts and a, and a fleece. Doesn't include spending money, surprisingly. Although you don't get a big lot of time on a lift project to go and spend money. So if you were going on a lift project, I would say if you took £200, you'd come back with most of it in your pocket or else you'll give it away. Um, it doesn't include snacks and drinks normally. It doesn't include cleaning. That depends where you are, okay? If you're in Africa, we, we, tend, to, we tend to employ a local woman to, to clean for it. I'm not, being, I'm not being sexist there, okay? But, but women do the cleaning in Africa, basically. I mean, if you're going to ask a man to come and do the cleaning, it wouldn't be very clean. Uh, but, and we pay them well. So they're, they're happy to get paid. And we're very happy we've got somebody there to, to wash our clothes for us. Um, and, then, and if we go and do any sightseeing, that's not included in the price seller. So that's additional cost. And they say, we don't do a big lot of sightseeing. The only, the only project we do some real sightseeing in really is Israel. And I'll tell you a little bit about that later on as well. So this is our, was our first project. It's out and back. And that's the one that Mark was on. And, and the idea was that we were going to go out there and look to see where the best place was to, uh, to put a new theatre block up for this, uh, for this uh, hospital. So Mark's job was to go out and analyse the, the ground, the conditions of the ground, and uh, see where the best place and the, where the, to, to locate the actual building. Um, and then he's back. He'll do up some drawings and things for that. And um, all being well, they'll start building it before we get out in November. And when we go out in November, all being well, we're going to put a roof on it um, and uh, maybe do a bit of first fix of the services in it. I'm going to flick over that side because you can't go on that when you've missed it. You're too late. Out to Argentina then. So Argentina is working... Anybody know Nigel Kizik? Yeah, so Nigel. So this is Nigel's uh, organisation. Nigel is a UK director for Gospel Mission in South, South America. Uh, and we've been to this campsite for about the last five or six years. This particular one last year, we, we, there was a swimming pool built, and we sent plumbers out to put the filtration system and things around the swimming pool. Uh, and we also put up some of the walls to the building. So they were polystyrene walls, each side meshed each side, so you render them on the outside and plaster them on the inside, and actually it sounds a bit of a Mickey Mouse construction but actually when it's built, it is a pretty, a pretty good and, and warm construction So it's a cost of mission in South America, it's out in April approximate cost of £1,350 and we're looking for about 10 people, so looking for joiners, uh, electricians plumbers, tilers, welders or sheep metal workers and handy enthusiasts let me, let me tell you what a handy enthusiast is okay, there's somebody who's enthusiastic and handy all right, so if you're not a tradesperson, if you're not one of those people above there, you fall into the category of being a handy enthusiast. 
And sometimes handy enthusiasts aren't even handy, I have to say. But they're enthusiastic. Um, and you know, we tell you, if you've got an electrician and you put a handy enthusiast along with them, and they're able to track walls and, and pull cables through conduit or even screw up sockets uh, that, the, that the electrician has, has, has showed them how to do, they double the amount of work that that electrician can do. Because that electrician can work away at doing all the other specialist things. Um, and the same applies to all the other trades, whether it's a plumber or a joiner or whatever. So handy enthusiasts aren't really at the bottom of our pile. They actually are the backbone of our organization. Uh, yes, we, we, need all the, we need all the tradesmen. Um, and we love farmers, by the way. Now, I'm not sure why I have any farmers. I'm only standing up because you're in the country. But if you've got a farmer here, then we love farmers because they're really jacks of all trades. Um, I'm not going to say masters of none because obviously they're master farmers. But they're jacks of all trades. They can build and they can, they can just about turn their hand to most things. Uh, so they're great. So if you're here tonight and you don't fall into the category of being a tradesperson, and you do fall into the category of being a handy enthusiast, you're aged between 18 and 80, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior, well then you can go on a lift project. Serbia is a little Baptist church in a, in a town called Coven, a town of about 30,000 people with no Christian church in it whatsoever. Um, and this is the church that we've been working at now for about the last four years. The man sitting down in the chair was the pastor. He is now taking some sort of mental illness, dementia or something, and no longer able to, to, uh, to preach. Um, so the, the church has actually been looked after by First Belgrade Baptist Church, uh, which is about 45-minute drive away. There's only about 13 or 14 members in this church, and their little room that they work in now wouldn't be as big as your festival. That's the size of their church at the, as it is now. And they went in this big vision of building a three-story uh, new church building, ground floor being the sanctuary, uh, second floor being classrooms and, and uh, halls, and the third floor being a little flat for the pastor. And they've got it up. It's going pretty well for them. Um, most of it being funded either by them or, or by uh, others from Northern Ireland. A lot of it's funded from Northern Ireland uh, and from the, the, the Belgrade Church as well. So we've got a team going out there again this year, out in May, uh, looking for um, really a small team of about five people, looking for joiners, plumbers and handy enthusiasts. Now, I know that the clever one of us will know that two and one and three doesn't add up to five. Um, however, it's any combination that will do us, okay? So... Um, but if you, want to, if you feel that like you could go and help with that we bought this church in, in Coven, it would be great if you could come along and, and join us. Out to Norway. Um, we're, actually, we're, we're actually through CEF. We're, working below. we're going to be working for a local church. Um, and that's, at the team, that's at this year's team on the left side there. They built that wee staircase up to a, a fire skip that they, they, they made through the wall. They put windows in and they moved the woodshed and they did a whole lot of other things uh, for CEF. The photograph on the right, I just put that in because I wanted to show you that, that is, that's midnight in Norway. Uh, so it's 24-hour daylight whenever we'll be there. So you have to set your watch to go to bed as well as set your watch to, to get out of bed. Uh, so that's what midnight looks like in Norway uh, when the team will be there. So it's out in June. Pucks will cost £12.50. Um, Ten people looking for it. Looking for joiners. Ideally somebody with a bit of knowledge of putting on a roof. Uh, looking for electricians, plumbers and handy enthusiasts. Peru, so as I told you earlier when we were out in Peru last year, um, we worked at an orphanage which was, which was mostly sponsored by, uh, well, originally it was, a, it was an Irish Baptist orphanage, but the Americans have sort of taken it over. Um, but, but while we were there, um, there was a woman here in Northern Ireland whose daughter was out in Peru a, a number of years ago and spent some time working in this little orphanage that uh, we're going to go out to this year. And the girl came back, she was a teacher, she came back, she got a job in London, bought an apartment in London, uh, was teaching, and then she took ill, and the girl died. 
the daughter died. Uh, so her parents still have the apartment in London, and uh, all the money from the rent of that apartment they sent out to this little orphanage in Peru. Now, that's the only income, apart from these two people's salary. Um, can't remember which order it is, but one of them's an architect, and one of them is uh, uh, an accountant. And they spend their entire salaries on looking after these children. And most of the children, a big lot of the children that are in this orphanage are disabled. They're, all, they're, they're, just, they're children that most other orphanages don't want, really, in Peru. Um, so they sponsor, them, they sponsor each of these children themselves um, and have done for, for many, many years. And apart from the small amount of money that they get from Northern Ireland, they don't get any other income. Um, and they were wanting to build a little house pretty much similar to the last orphanage worked in Peru for, for boys this time at the age of 16 so as they could stay in the orphanage a little bit longer. So that's what we're hoping to go and do. We're hoping to go back out again, um, sort of the end of June, early July, to start and do some work on this orphanage. So looking for joiners and bricklayers, electricians, plumbers, window fixers, painters, and handy enthusiasts. Clumber is a medical team, um, and it's done through Children's Vision International in Bogota. And uh, last year's team, they went out, and they went up the Amazon, and then they went off some river, off the Amazon, and they don't actually know where they were. Um, and we do actually don't know where they were either. Um, but the, the children's vision knew where they were. And they went out with the, the Colombian uh, Navy. And they looked after them. Each, each of the people on the team was assigned a, a marine of their own to look after them, so which is pretty cool. And uh, the girls, they were all girls, and they all they worked away at, at treating people. Now, the health service in, Peru, in Colombia isn't free. So if you don't have any money, then you don't get treated. But where these people were actually working, where the team was actually working, there was no health service at all, even if they had money there was no health service that were that far out. So for many of the people that they treated, um, and they treated about 6,000 people, so for many of those people that they treated in that small period of time, it was the only health care that they'd ever see. Uh, and this year's team's gone back out again, uh, out again at the same time, June and July. Uh, we're looking for eight people, so we're looking for doctors and nurses and dentists and physiotherapists and opticians and really any health professional. So if you're here today and you are an existing practicing health professional, and we'd like to go and serve um, in Colombia this, 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 this summer, well then, I do get in contact. Here's the thing, but there's no handy enthusiasts in this team, okay? So you can't just throw your white coat on and think you're going to be a dentist for, for two weeks. It's not going to happen. Then Israel. So Israel's a little bit of a different team than most of our other teams. Um, for many years, we worked at the CEF building, which is the building on, on the right. Um, where that white line is across... Um, was really where that building was. That was the flat roof on it whenever we turned up originally. Uh, so everything above that we've put on and we've rendered the whole building and we've wired it and we've plumbed it and uh, decorated it and done all sorts of things to it over the years. Um, and now we're also working at, uh, the pitch on the left, uh, working at the Nazareth Trust Hospital. That's the big hospital at the very top of the hill there. Anybody been to Nazareth? No. So if you had went to Nazareth, you'd probably go to the Nazareth village, which is a little bit like the Ulster Folk and Transport Museum. It's a, a village that's been built to look like the time whenever Christ uh, would have been living in Nazareth. And from that point of view, the hospital, they own that Nazareth village. So all the income that goes into people visiting that goes to, to support the, the hospital. Now, the hospital was originally started out as just a four-bedroom uh, mission hospital. It's now up, I think, at 147 beds. And um, it's now part of the Israeli health service. So most people that work in it are either Jews or Arabs. However, it's still a Christian hospital. And uh, our, what we've been doing is trying to convert rooms, convert houses, uh, to make uh, accommodation for missionaries. Uh, missionaries go and they're free then to go and talk to the staff. They're free to talk to the patients and share the gospel. And there's a Christian 
a service held in it every morning. So this team goes out um, most in September, it started in September, £950, uh, looking for about 10 people, so looking for plasters, plumbers, joiners, and handy enthusiasts. This is a little bit of a, say, it's a little bit of a different team because the people in the hospital and the key people in the CEF centre, they want to take you out and show you a little bit around, around uh, Nazareth. And they'll take you out and they'll open up the Bible and they'll read a little bit. This, this is where this happened. And, and they're very knowledgeable and love to do it. And there'll probably be, a, probably be a half day or a day's trip up to Jerusalem, I would imagine, as well, which we normally do. Zambia then, um, working in Zambia, uh, Sandy's been in Zambia a couple of times. I've been in Zambia. Um, and we're going to back out again this year. The missionary there is a girl from the Ulster Temple um, in Belfast. And she married a, a local man, a local evangelist, a CISO, you call him, who actually is here in Northern Ireland at the moment. And he had this vision of, of opening uh, 100 churches in 10 years. Um, and that's what he set about doing, although he's way, way ahead of himself. Um, do you know what, what number he's on now? 75. So he's 75 in about three years, two years, maybe. So he's, very, he's doing way ahead of himself in the, in the project. Um, however, this is a little church that the team built last year. And uh, the, 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 really, I mean, talking about planting a church, this is what planting a church is. They, they, they put tree stumps really into the ground and concreted them in and, and then built these little walls around the outside of them and put a tin roof on top of it. And the tin roof's not really to keep the rain off, it's to keep the sun off, really. Um, and as though it's not a big, a big church, uh, where there was no church there, there is now a little church. Uh, and, and there's now 75 villages that with little churches like that. Um, they also run an orphanage with about 50 kids and, and a school of about 400 kids as well. They're quite a large church in the mission compound as well. So there's a lot going on there and uh, there's no shortage of work in Zambia. Um, Proxy costs £1,300 looking for 10 people. So looking for joiners, electricians, plumbers, a cook and five handy enthusiasts. Let me tell you a little bit about the cook, okay? Because in my opinion, that's probably the most important person on the team. Um, we're not looking for a chef, okay? Well, yeah, if there is a chef, that'd be great, of course. But if we're not actually looking for a chef. We're looking for, I refer to it like, like mummy cooking, okay? So if you can do a meat and potatoes and three veg or two veg, that'll be great. And if you can make a pavlova, that'll be fantastic. Um, but somebody who can just simply go and cook for the team. So as um, when the team gets back from a day's work, there's something there for them to eat. Um, otherwise, if we don't get that, well, then either the missionary has to cook or we have to cook for ourselves. That just slows down the project. Uganda um, is an organization called Wakisa, and it's a Northern Ireland mission organization based um, uh, at, the, at uh, Hollywood Arches in Belfast. Um, and it's, a, it's an organization that takes girls who get pregnant out of wedlock, either girls because they've made a mistake, or girls who have been raped, or girls through incest or whatever. Um, and they, they bring the girls into the center. Um, some of them are very young, some could be as young as 13. And they bring these girls into the center and they uh, build them up and then they go and have their baby and they bring them back and they teach them how to be a mum and, uh, and they try to teach them a skill so they get taught tailoring or hairdressing or candle making or something something that they can make a living at and then whenever they feel able then they're left to go back out into the community again when I say left to go back to the community again they're, they're settled back into the community again and we keep continuing to look after them for many years even after they've left the centre um, sometimes it's safe when they go back to the same community they came from and sometimes they have to start, start up in a brand new community but a project well worth, uh, well worth doing. So I was out to Uganda. Um, 
in October, early October time, 1,200 pounds for eight people, for joiners, bricklayers, electricians, and handy enthusiasts. And I should say, all the prices you see there, we, Lyft doesn't make any money in those, okay? So we don't add a penny on for anything. Um, we round it up and down to the nearest 50 pounds. That's what we do. Um, but we try to work out the cost of all the things that are involved in the project, and uh, we don't add anything on for ourselves. Senegal's Bonafide Christian School. Uh, we've been there a few times. We're there the very first year they started on the site and built the, the workshop, which was the first building to be put up. And since then, we've been back a few other times in, in the sports centre and uh, the dining hall. Um, and last year, we worked at, at, at a house, this house here, uh, which two years ago we put the roof on it, and last year we, we put the kitchen and, and things into it. Um, so it's, it's a school for, for the missionaries' children themselves. So it lets missionaries go out into the field and the surrounding areas and, uh, and do what they need to do while their children are being looked after and kept safe. So it's out in October, £1,250 for joiners, electricians, bricklayers and handy enthusiasts. Well, this is a little bit of a different project. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a, a secret project, I suppose. And we're only looking for three or four people. We're looking for people to go out and to train local people to be electricians or welders um, so as they can do work in their underground churches, really. So that, what we're looking for is to send people out to, to train, not to actually do any real physical work, but to actually train others to do the work. So it's going out in, October, out in November. It'll be about £1,350. We're looking for four people. We're looking for welders or sheet metal workers and electricians. And obviously they need to be skilled people. There'd probably be no handy enthusiasts in that team, I wouldn't have thought. And our last project of the year is out to Madagascar, back again to uh, Madagascar Hospital. This time, hopefully, the, as I said earlier on, the, the, the walls will be up with the theatre block. I mean, hope they get the trusses made and uh, purlins on and the roof on and maybe do a bit of first fixing. So looking for joiners, even bench joiners would be good as well for, to make windows and doors and door frames. Electricians, bricklayers, plumbers, um, plasterers, painters and handy enthusiasts. So that's a list of all the projects that I've just told you all about. Uh, just skip on there, please. So this is a project we did a couple of years ago for dwelling places in Uganda. And sometimes people say, what can you actually do in two weeks? What can you achieve in two weeks? So this is a little house that um, nine children's parents had died. Their mum and dad had died of AIDS. And what happens in Africa is once, when the parents die, well, then their next of kin just inherits the children. And this was an old aunt. She was called Sarah. Um, and I don't know what age she was. Africans are sometimes hard to tell, but she looked quite old. Um, and this was her house. And dwelling places had asked us to go out and uh, to put a new roof in this little building. Whenever we got there, it became quite evident that it, it didn't need a roof. It, it really needed a new building. And that's what we set about doing. We built this little building here. Um, now, it mightn't, be that, it mightn't be that grand, but it had, it had a roof that didn't leak. And it had gutters to collect the water, which we had put a little... Um, uh, little pit at the side to collect the water in. It had uh, glass in the windows, uh, windows that opened. It had grills in the windows to make it safe. It had a door that locked. Um, and it had a bed for everybody in the house for the, for the nine kids and for, and for the, the old aunt herself. Um, a little kitchen was outside and the toilet was outside. And that, you know, compared to all the other little houses in that village, this was a palace compared to them. Um, and it was a Muslim village. And every day we went to work there they all come out and sat in a circle around watching these white guys from Northern Ireland building this little house. And uh, the missionaries were there, which gave them a huge opportunity just to talk to those people in that village, an opportunity they otherwise wouldn't have had. So when people say to me, you know, what can you accomplish in two weeks? Well, if you can 
get nine children out of the orphanage, back into the community to live with their aunt. That changed the life of those nine children. And then it creates nine spaces in the orphanage where nine more children can come off the streets and go into the orphanage. So in two weeks, if you can change the lives of 18 children, well, sure, that's got to be worth going and doing. God doesn't always call the equipped, but he always equips the called. Um, and the only reason I'm, I'm saying that is because um, when I look at some teams, I said earlier, I look at some teams and wonder what, what are they going to achieve, and they achieve mighty things. And they only achieve mighty things because God equips each person that goes on the team. I'll tell you a little bit about uh, this book. This book was my brother's book. I'm not trying to sell you it, okay? He is a, he's a journalist, um, and he writes books about, about the wars, really. And he's wrote a number of books. Um, but he wrote this one called The Chocolate Soldiers. And every after a year or two after it's published, I always go back on and see uh, how much I can buy it for in, in, in Amazon or somewhere <clears throat> to see if it's any cheaper. Um, it's actually it's about, it's about a, a dollar dearer if, you, if he signs it. Um, anyway, uh, so what is a chocolate soldier? The chocolate soldiers, um, it, it was a, an expression referring to really a good-looking but useless warrior, uh, popularized by George Bernard Shaw in 1894, um, and playing arms of men. The term really is, it's a, it's a, it's a bad term, really. It's just a, to say that you look good in your uniform, and that's all you are. You just look good in your uniform. You really aren't any good as a, as a soldier. Now, when I was also on Amazon looking for this book, I came across this book. It's also called The Chocolate Soldier. That's where C.T. stands. Now, <clears throat> I'm not sure most of you know, I know what C.T. stands, but Charles Thomas Studd, okay, known as C.T. Studd, born 2nd December 1860, died the 16th of July 1931 in the Belgian Congo, uh, now the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, he was a cricketer and played for England in 1882 with the match against Australia, which Australia won, and where they burnt the bales, and now we have it as today's ashes. As a Christian in 1885, he became a missionary to China uh, and then on to India in, in 1900 and then to Sudan in 1910. In 1913, then he set up a mission called the Heart of Africa Mission, which became the one then as World Evangelization Crusade, better known today as CEF, or not CEF, WEC, WAC International, which today serves in 80 countries and has 1,800 missionaries. Now, go ahead. Chocolate soldiers in the Bible. Now, I know that some of these people here that I'm going to mention really are more than chocolate soldiers, but there were times in their lives that they were chocolate soldiers. When Mark, you know, he left Paul and Barnabas and returned to Jerusalem, ten of the twelve spies, um, checking out the, 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 the promised land, really were chocolate soldiers. Jonah, when he ran away from God, was a chocolate soldier. David, when he stayed at home and sent his men out uh, to fight in the war. Samson, when he became a chocolate soldier in the hands of a, of a woman. Uh, Peter, when he denied Christ three times. And King Saul uh, just was frightened to fight Goliath. And that was their moments of being chocolate soldiers. They looked good, but uh, didn't, um, didn't make the mark. So heroes are not chocolate soldiers. Well, Noah built an ark and withstood all the mocking that came with it. Abraham marched against and defeated the army of five kings. And Moses chose truth over power. Daniel stepped into the lion's den. And John the Baptist prepared the way, called the Pharisees vipers, and told King Herod he was an adulterer. Paul preached the gospel to the Gentiles, and David killed Goliath. There are moments of, of not, being, uh, not, not being chocolate soldiers, but being Christian heroes. Greetings and introductions are important. 
Right, here, I'm going to go through a, a number of little photographs here just showing you different greetings around the world. And I mean, A handshake is my most favourite greeting, I have to say. I, I like a good handshake at a good arm's length. Um, younger people today, they might do a little bit of a fist pump, but I don't understand that. But anyway, Japanese business, they like to bow. And really, the lower they bow, the, the more respect they're offering. New Zealand, traditional New Zealand is to put your vars together and rub your noses together. In Malaysia, the greeting is really to, to, to clasp the hand of somebody that you're going to, and, and also to, to sort of bend both knees. And almost a bit, much, bit like New Zealand, really, where they, they put their vars together and, and rub noses. In Tibet, sticking your tongue out, we wouldn't consider that much of a greeting, I have to say, but sticking your tongue out at somebody is, is the greeting. In the Philippines, then, you've got this lifting the hand to the forehead, and that's a, a showing of respect. In South Korea, then, you present your business card, um, and as if you were giving something really, I mean, a business card or two to a penny, but, you know, you, they present you with the business card. There's a little bit of cheek kissing, that, that, that creeps into the church, you know, as well now. I don't understand it. Anyway, a bit of cheek kissing goes on as well. And then sometimes, you know, you have air kissing, which really doesn't get that close. Then you've got real hugs when you actually miss somebody and they're really delighted to see you. And then you've got these awkward man hugs, including a bit of back slobbing goes on. You know, I, I, it's hard to beat a handshake. Got these long distance hugs there, you know, which you hug each other, but the bodies can't touch each other. That's no, no. Then you've got the hugger and the non-hugger, you know, and yeah, I can understand that one. Then you've got one of these one-way hugs, which also, you know, that's me, okay. So greetings and introductions are important, okay? And greetings, um, as I say, first impressions make and last. Um, they can be awkward, get it wrong, and it could be a short relationship and short encounter. Get it right, and it could be a long friendship or relationship. And often the easiest way for us all to get to know somebody is to be introduced. Somebody to come along and say, hello, this is so-and-so and so-and-so. And And then they give a common denominator, you know, they they work as electrician or whatever whatever it is. And you get a common denominator between them. And that starts the two people off in the conversation, which, you know, then you can tell why you're going to like that person or not within a very short period of time. Go ahead. So... Doctor, I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this right, okay, but I'm going to call him Dr. Harm. I'll have to pronounce this. I think it's Mazella. Um, Dr. Harm, we're going to call him from now on because I'm not sure I'm getting his name right. Okay, he was born 21st of April, 1877, died the 1st of November, 1960. Dr. Harm was an American Baptist preacher. Uh, he was preaching one evening in North Carolina. Uh, Billy Graham, at the age of 16, was in the congregation. His dad was a layman in the church and helped to organize the meeting. And after hearing Dr. Harm, then Billy Graham give his life to the Lord. Now, I'm sure I asked most people here, had you ever heard of, of Dr. Mozilla Ham? Most people probably didn't hear of him or never heard of him. But yet, I'm sure if I said, who has heard of Billy Graham? Most people say, yeah, I've heard of Billy Graham. Am I struggling to read that one, I'm afraid? <clears throat> so, Acts 2, 38-41. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off 
even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they, were gl- then, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto that them about 3,000 souls. Give us the next week's slide there, please. Andrew is who I want to talk about, really a little bit about. Andrew introduced his brother Jesus. Um, Andrew met, he was with John the Baptist, he met Jesus. And the first thing that he wanted to do, just give us the next slide, please. First thing he wanted to do was to tell his brother, um, Simon, Peter, to come along and meet the Messiah. He was so excited about that, he just wanted to, to make sure that his brother had the opportunity to meet the Messiah too. Andrew also introduced the little boy with the, with the bread and fish. Um, I mean, there was a lot of doubt about how they were going to feed the 5,000 men, plus women and plus children. Yet Andrew went out and he brought, saw the little boy and he brought him to Jesus and said, look, this little boy's got five barley loaves and two fish. You know, and then he, and he says, you know, can you do anything with this really sort of thing? And so he introduced the little boy to Jesus. Give us the next one, please. And then Philip then, these Greeks came along and they spoke to Philip and uh, they wanted to meet Jesus as well. Philip, not too sure what to do, he went and spoke to Andrew and together then, Andrew and Philip introduced the Greeks to Jesus. Now, we don't hear a big lot about Andrew. Go to the next slide, please. Don't hear a big lot about Andrew in the Bible. Um, we, we hear a lot about Peter. Um, and Peter was introduced to Jesus by Andrew. Every church needs Peter. It needs someone who's going to stand up and declare the gospel. Um, and generally speaking, that's your pastor or your minister or, or your senior elder or whoever it happens to be, your evangelist. And they're the people that, that feel comfortable up here doing that. Uh, for some people to stand in a pulpit and to give a message, well, you know, that's just a step too far. But I can understand that because it's, it's, not, it's not for everybody. It's not everybody's gift and everybody's talent. However, there's the next week's slide, please. Every church needs an army of Andrews. That is people like all of you. People who look for an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with whoever they come in contact with. And try to change your conversation around to being able to have an opportunity to share the gospel with those who you come in contact with. So ask yourself this then. When was the last time you had a serious conversation with someone about the need for their salvation in Christ. It's not always easy to do that. But you will be blessed by doing it. And it's nothing to fear in doing it because God will give you the words and the actions that you need at that moment in time. So I would encourage each of you, if you're not, if you're not the person, the Peter, who's going to stand up and preach, then you are the Andrew. You're the army of this church that requires you to go out and share the gospel with whoever is willing to listen. Give us the next one again, please. Okay, so don't be a chocolate soldier. Be an Andrew. Go ahead. So thank you for listening to me. I, I probably spoke longer than I needed to tonight. Um, but thank you for your, for your patience. If you are interested in going on a project, or at least interested in finding out more about our project, well, then do speak to myself, speak to Stuart or Elizabeth, who are, who are members of the congregation. I have lots of literature out, outside, okay? So there's magazines there, there's uh, a little booklet about all the projects for this year, there's pens and other things there. Please take them home with you, okay? There's no point in me taking them back to Belfast with me. 
So uh, take as much as you want and give it out to other people. If you're here tonight and you want to sign up for a project, that's great. If you know somebody who you think might be interested, well then, take your literature with you and uh, pass it on to them. Thank you very much.